Welcome to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. This week in Receiving God's Best Lesson 2, we will be looking at the principles 2 and 3 of how Jesus must be our focus and how we must meditate on God's Word. We shall look at the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and not being diverted into secondary aspects of the Gospel. Followed by key principle three, the importance of meditating on God's word, that is thinking God's word, speaking God's word and acting God's word. Please remember that from Monday the 9th of November next week, the Arise Bible Academy will be closing in person and moving online to Zoom during the new lockdown period announced by the government at the weekend. We will be sending out details of how you can connect in on Zoom in due course. And to keep up to date with all the latest news and events, please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Every week's quite strange, isn't it, with breaks and then uh, having to go to Zoom next week. But uh, we'll press on. that's what we do, we persevere. We, we learn about that the week before last. We have to be people that persevere. Let's just have a brief recap of what we've looked at already on this subject of receiving God's best. There are eight principles that we're looking at here. And last week we did an introduction and we dealt with the first uh, principle. We looked at the parable of the sower and the seed and it's also called the hundredfold return because the idea is if we have good hearts, noble hearts, and we receive God's word, we can produce a hundredfold, 30, 60, or a hundredfold. And the idea is that God wants us to receive that we might produce the best in our lives. He said also in John's gospel a number of times that he wants us to bear fruit, to bear much fruit in our lives and so the best is not necessarily wealth or riches but it is the production of God's fruit in our lives in whatever sphere he places us that the things we put our hands to the giftings that we have we are graced by God we are successful in the things that he calls us to do we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau uh, regarding the first principle and the first principle was we must want God's best. You go, well, surely we all want God's best. Not necessarily. See, anything that God gives us is going to be good. And some people can be very happy with just the good. Uh, To have your sins forgiven, to uh, find yourself in a, a loving community of people, to know that when you die, you're going to go with God, that your problem of sin has been dealt with. That's good. That's good. So everything from God is good. But he says, listen, you can have the better or the best, 30, 60 or 100 fold. So you're here because you want something more. Uh, I'm not saying those that aren't here don't want something more, but I'm saying you definitely do. So your people are saying, no, I want more of what God has for me. This week, we're going to look at two further principles. Next week, there'll be three and then back to two in the final week here. So the two we're going to look at tonight. Now, one is a lot longer than the other. So when I finish the first one, don't think, oh, he's only halfway through and we've got a mountain it's going to be probably the first one is quite lengthy but this, the the one following that is going to be a lot shorter so I want to encourage you from the start so the second one 
is that Jesus must be the focus of our life. He must be the focus. Jesus must be preeminent in everything of our lives. And the next one we're going to look at is we must meditate on the Word of God. The Word of God must get into our heads. And as we live our lives, we live it with him in our consciousness all the time. So let's get on to this first one. Jesus must be the focus of our lives. I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to read the first two verses there. It says, starts off with the therefore. Well, therefore is a, a conjunction, it's a joining word, so you really should read what went before to make sense of the therefore. But, and we will do that, but we're not going to read what went before. We're just going to read on, and then I'll make reference to what went before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Very clear. We've got to keep him in our focus. From this passage, I'm going to take you through uh, three or four logical steps that are obvious from here, and then some facts about Jesus Christ himself. Take encouragement, he says, from the great cloud of witnesses. Who, who are these people? Who are these witnesses he's talking about? Well, in your Bibles, if you looked at Hebrews, you would find, in, like I said, it's a conjunction word. In Hebrews 11, it's called uh, the great chapter of faith. And so we see a whole list of people from the Old Testament, men and women who lived by faith. They set the things of God, the spiritual things, as a priority in their life, and they focused on God great saints um, there's a list of them i'll just go through uh, some of them but the, the list is quite extensive we start with abel then it goes on to enoch and noah abraham isaac jacob joseph moses rahab all these familiar characters from the old testament it goes on to samuel and david and, and others then a bit later on and he wants us to look at them he says consider these men and women of faith consider their lives Look at them. You're surrounded by people that are wanting to encourage you to move on, to, to, to receive the very best from God. There's a fantastic verse in uh, 11 and 16. It says about them, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Have you noticed that verse before? God is proud to be called, in the right sense now, he's proud to be called the God of these people. Isn't that amazing? He says, look at these people. I'm not ashamed to be called their God. What, what a, a, a union between the two. What a love that existed. What, he's so impressed. Do you think he could say that to you? I'm not ashamed to be that person's God because of their commitment the the reasons why it says their eyes were focused they were looking for a better country a heavenly one 
they were looking for something beyond this physical world beyond this natural they knew there was something greater to go for and they were looking for that thing they were expecting they were they were anticipating that God would lead them into something a lot better also they trusted him through what I've put here hell and high water they did didn't they if you read about those people of faith their lives weren't weren't pleasant whether you're talking about Noah or Abraham we read the stories like they were stories but I think poor old Noah you know not easy to be Noah the only righteous man in the world what were the rest like couldn't have had any friends to start with and then in comes the flood and he's left in a world where there's no one there's no one living in the world of Noah what a terrible lonely awful life and it, he was considered to be close to God God was not ashamed of him because he wanted the things of God I want to add something here there are saints today in our churches whom God would also be proud to be their God they exist in our churches unfortunately they're largely ignored in our churches because they're not pushy and upfront and making a lot of noise we tend to ignore these people but these people have journeyed with the Lord for decades and decades and they have been faithful in their walk with the Lord and they know the Lord very very deeply and their focus is only on these things and as a result the churches are poorer for it see so you're to look around like I said look and see the great host of of people that are encouraging you and we should do this as well in the church we need to look around and thinking who is around here that can be an encouragement to me so I can move on to receive God's best the second step here is to be prepared to run the race to run successfully we must throw off everything that would slow us down and the sins that entangle us it says what would slow us down what would slow an athlete down from run, running a race well they get all their kit off don't they they wear the absolute minimum amount of clothes I mean sometimes when I look at them I think they couldn't wear any less these these right I mean they're just like nothing on them you know and because they know that anything that they put on would just slow them down they even come out with modern fibers don't they that don't aren't wind resistant and all that sort of stuff it's like they 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 do their best to to be focused on on running the race we are to keep our eyes on Jesus it's as though he is at the finishing line and if we take our eyes off him we'll just lose our direction for the race anything that blurs the vision of Jesus will rob us of the best that God has for us and sins that so easily entangle us well sins will slow us down sins are a problem in our lives it's not what Charles Finney said about sin sin is the most expensive thing he said in the world if it is 
forgiven sin, it costs God his son. If it's unforgiven sin, it might cost you your soul. Sin is a, is a dangerous thing. Now, our sins have been forgiven. We're born again of the Spirit of God. We're trusting in Jesus. So our sins have been forgiven. But if there's little things that continue in our lives, they simply slow us down. They don't stop you reaching the goal of, of God and heaven, but they will slow you down and they will rob you of God's best in this life. We must run with perseverance would be step three. He says there to run with perseverance. The parable we looked at with the sower, remember it says the man who has a noble heart, he hears the word of God, he retains the word of God and he perseveres with what he has, so he, he, gets, he gets the maximum that he can from his life. So this whole question of persevering comes up again and again and again in scriptures. We can't miss it. There has to be an element of sticking to it and, 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 and pushing our way through. The fourth step is this one we're focusing on now in this particular one. We come to the critical point, as it were. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We must keep our eyes totally focused on the Lord Jesus. We mustn't let it be distracted. We mustn't lose sight of him at all. Jesus started this life of faith with us and he will bring it to completion. He is the starter and the finisher of this Christian life of faith. He is the author and the perfecter. He will bring it to its perfect conclusion and end. Therefore, keep your focus on him, the one who is perfecting your faith. I want to suggest to you now four simple facts about Jesus. Number one, we've got to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is the Lord. We became a Christian by confessing something, by owning up to something. Not a question of just confessing your sins, but you confessed something else. You confess that Jesus Christ was your Lord. You confess that. You said that. So if that's true, your whole life is lived to please the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's your Lord, He's the most important person to you, and so your life is lived to please him. In all that we consider doing, we seek to please him. You know, sometimes we're tempted. Uh, now, we don't always do this. It's a good principle. Usually in life, the devil will rush us. He, he hurries us along, and in the hurrying along, we end up making the decisions about things. Don't be hurried by the devil. Slow down, because God can create space for things. You think, oh, I've got to make this decision quick. No, no God can stretch things. He has a, a, an ability of doing this. But you have to make, if you have to make a decision fairly quickly, just ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, the person of the Godhead dwells inside, to lead you into all truth, to, to, to tell you the route to take all truth. 
I have an example of this when I worked with Daphne in the, uh, in the ministry in, in Uxbridge in a, like a soup kitchen ministry. Uh, uh, we'd have maybe 50 or 60 guests coming in a particular day. Now and again, someone would come to me and say, Phil, um, uh, I, w- I want to say something to you. or uh, I've got to ask you something. I always knew what that meant when they sort of went quiet, you know, like this. So we'd, we'd go off into a room just a few yards away, and I knew that what they were going to say. They were going to ask me for some money. Always, always the same. Always the same. Now, between when they asked, when they first spoke to me and I got to the office, it might have been less than half a minute walking. I used to say, Holy Spirit, yes or no? That's all, yes or no? I just want a yes or no, because it doesn't matter what story they're going to tell me, because you can't believe it anyway. I'm not saying it was always lies. I'm saying you can't afford to believe what someone tells you like this, you know. I'd say, yes or no? And, you know, before I got to the office... I always had an answer, yes or no. Then you say, how did you know that was God? That just might have been you. Well, no, if we ask God, he freely gives us wisdom of what to do. That's what scripture says. So I would always have a yes or no. And sometimes I would have thought, oh, I don't want to give him the money, but God had said yes. And sometimes I really liked the person and I wanted to do something for them. And I would get a no. Anyway, whatever they told me, I didn't matter how long it was or who was dying or it didn't matter. They would get it or not get it, not based on what they said, but on what God had said. So it does work. So if you're hurried, just stop and say, Holy Spirit. Now, you go, how will I know? The first answer you get is usually the Holy Spirit. If you go, oh, I'm not sure, you'll end up with two and you're confused. So you've you've blown the Holy Spirit out on this one. But if you ask him quickly and the first answer you get, go with that one. And that usually works quite well. Now, if you've got lots of time to pray and ponder and talk and think about things, do that. Don't rush into things if you don't have to. But sometimes we just have to. If the Holy Spirit says no, because Jesus is Lord, that answer's good enough. Don't question it. Don't bring in your thoughts about the whole thing. Once we take our eyes off Jesus, we will start going wrong. We will start going wrong in our lives. Don't think for one moment we can live with our own understanding. You can't. His ways are higher than our ways. We have a thing called common sense. I don't want common sense. I want God's sense. And so our strength Our understanding, our decision-making must come from him every time. It must come from him. You say, well, we have to start practicing then. Practicing some of these things and then acting on them and moving on them with some faith. Fact number two about Jesus is not only our Lord, the one who should be obeyed and followed, he's our standard. Jesus is the only standard of righteousness. It says in Acts 17 and 31, For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. 
I said in the last series, Jesus hasn't come to judge us. He's not our judge because he's our advocate. I said it's the word of God that judges us. Jesus will not judge us, but his life will stand beside our life. And his life will be compared to our life. You say, well, that's a tall, that's a tall order, Phil. Will you stand in me next to here to compare my life? Jesus. Will you say, well, that's not fair. He was God come in the flesh. No, no, no. He was a man. He came as a man. He came as a man and he said, listen, if I can live this life, so can you. You can live the same life as me because I have laid aside that part of the power of divinity that I could call on and live so differently. But I know I'm just like you. That's why that verse says, the world, sorry, the world with, with he came, sorry, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. It wouldn't be fair if I stood next to God and God judged me based on his life. A God or the God, that wouldn't be right. But I will be judged on the basis of Christ's life. He is the standard for our living. And there's no, there's no getting out of this. You can compare this with the life of Noah. Noah lived a righteous life. How on earth did he do that? No one else did. No one else did. So he proved to the people and he condemned the people because he could do it. He did do it. It condemned the rest of the world and they were all drowned in the flood. See, we can, we can live like Christ. Again, we have to choose to do these things. We have to develop our lives so it's all possible. Claiming you're only human, it won't let you off anything. Because Jesus said, I was only human. I had the Holy Spirit in me just like you had him in you. You had the word of God, I had the word of God. There's going to be no excuses. Jesus came to show us how to live. It says, being made in human likeness. Just didn't look like us. He came into, he was incarnate. He came to be a man like us. Do you look at others and thinking how wonderful their lives are. Testimonies of other people are really good, but you know, they're never good enough. When you share a testimony, you only share the good bits. Have you noticed? You, you expand on the positive things, the bits that are a bit shady and doubtful and questionable, you don't mention them. And you think, oh, that person, you hear his testimony, you hear her testimony. It was fantastic. There's only one person that we can look at, and his name is Jesus. That's it. It's interesting in that 
passage that we were looking there in Hebrews. I just just turn to it there quickly with you. Um, come on, let's find it here. Okay. Chapter 11, like I've already explained, there's this great list of people who are tremendous heroes of faith. And he, he says, you know, uh, look at all them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. He said, look at all these people. Look at how wonderful they are. Come on, let's run the race. But then he says almost immediately, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. In other words, look at them. Now, don't look at them anymore, those, those chapter 11ers. Don't look at them anymore, those tremendous men and women of faith. Now turn to Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes only on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Dangerous to look to other people. We're not meant to. We're to be encouraged but we fix our eyes on Jesus. Once you take your eyes off Jesus, your standard of righteousness will drop. Jesus is also our example. He's the pattern of how we should live our lives. 1 Peter 2 and 21 says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, that's what I've been saying, isn't it? The example is to follow Jesus, to do what he did. He's our example because he has gone before us. We plant our feet where he plants his. And what we see happening to him, when it happens to you, don't be so shocked. When, when people persecute you, don't be upset because you're only putting your feet where he's put his feet. That's what's going to happen. When people don't understand what you're saying and want nothing to do with you, and just put your feet, keep going where he's going. You ever thought of Peter when he was on the boat that day? Remember, he saw Jesus walking on the water. <laughs> what does he say? He said, I want to do the same. He was a follower of Jesus, you see. He thought, well, if he can stand on water, I can stand on water. He is my rabbi. He's my teacher. I'm following him. Whatever Jesus does, and Jesus was telling them to do that. He said, you do what I do. You see me casting out demons, you cast them out. You see me raising the dead, you raise the dead. You see me healing the sick, you see, you see me walking on water, you did it. I want to know why all 12 of them weren't walking on water. Why weren't they? It took Peter, you see. Peter said, if you walk on water, I'll walk on water. I will walk in your footsteps. Perhaps that's the way he wrote that. Who knows? So he jumps out the boat and of course he walks on water. Don't worry about him sinking. That's, that's irrelevant, that bit. The thing is, he did it. He walked on the water. He walked in the footsteps of Jesus. You can't follow anyone unless you keep your eyes on them. You can't. I'll tell you a little story of keeping your eyes on Jesus, that, an example in my life. 
I was in Germany, it was some years ago now, and we, we had a ministry team, and we were doing a series, uh, a conference in a, in a hotel, I think it was, but we weren't staying in the hotel, we were living in people's houses, and um, they would do day sessions, and then we'd go home with the families and have a meal, and come back and do the evening sessions. So this particular day, we were three or four days into the conference, and I went back with my host in the car, and uh, we had the meal, and then there was some sort of, something happened in the house some emergency and she said i'm so sorry i've got to deal something with my family you'll have to go back yourself in the car to to this hotel well uh, if you knew anything about me you'd know i wouldn't even bother looking at the road let alone taking any interest about where i should turn right and left but she said it's so easy to get back you simply go down here now you know when people say something's easy and they say you go down here and you turn right and you got that and you go right and then they say left and then after about three turnings you go it's all gone it just goes like this you know it just goes across you and you think oh, and I just nodded and thought I'll give it a go anyway so I gets in this this car because I'm on I'm in Germany it's on a foreign road a foreign car I've never driven the thing before uh, and I'm driving so got all these things and I'm, I think you're right down here turn right turn right turn left uh, uh, I didn't know where I was I'm in this strange city I'm on this way to this hotel where I've got to preach this evening this message uh, and I'm thinking I'm in a mess here and I said, Jesus, help. Longest prayer we can ever pray, most effective. And he said, he said to me, follow the car in front. I can't believe it. Now I thought, that's neither rubbish, that's me panicking. But I thought, okay, I'll do it. And I followed the car in front. And I just, I just followed it. I remember this white car, I can see it in my head now, as clear as anything, I'm following this car. I'm turning right, I'm turning left. He's going fast, I'm going fast. He's jumping the lights, I'm jumping the lights. I'm not letting him go out of my sight. I'm gonna follow him. And all of a sudden, I see the hotel. He carries on and I'm thinking, that's it, that's the hotel. So I park and get out. You've gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes he moves quick, you know. He moves quick, and you have to move quick with him, and sometimes he goes really slow, and you have to slow down. Sometimes we want to rush ahead, but we can't. We walk in step with him. He's our example. We follow him. He's our Lord. We listen to what he's saying. He is our pattern for our life. The fourth thing about Jesus, Jesus is the heart of the gospel. He is the heart of the gospel. Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> no way is it a religion. It's not about how we think or how we live our lives. It's not, it's not fundamentally about that. There are great philosophies in the world how to live your life without a shadow of a doubt. It's not that. Christianity is not a code of ethics, the moral rights of life. It's not a book of rules to tell you what to do and not to do. Christianity is a person and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's it. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this, For what I received, this is Paul speaking, I passed on to you 
as of first importance. The most important thing Paul's going to tell us. It's of first importance. And what is it? That Christ died for our sins. It's not, it's not a rule or anything. It's the fact that this man, Jesus Christ, came here and died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried in the ground and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Isn't that the gospel? I mean, not just the gospel. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? About this man, Christ Jesus, and what he did. He died. This man died. This man was buried. This man rose again from the dead. <sighs> People try to make a lot of other things of equal importance to Jesus. They can't believe that, but sometimes you have to listen to what's being taught or being preached. Sometimes people make the church the most important thing or the sacraments most important or the Word of God most important or the Holy Spirit or faith or ministry or so many things we can say this is important thing no there's something of prime importance all these are secondary it is Jesus it is Jesus my father told me a story once um, we grew up in the church Daphne and I grew up in the same church as children together and uh, the church had a lot of mission work, loads of missionaries. And of course, missionaries in those days came over for what we called furlough. There was, you never contacted them or spoke to them or very little, but every two or three years they would find themselves coming home to England and spending a few months. And of course, they would come depending where they had been. And this particular missionary had been to Brazil. And uh, he had come on this particular evening and he was standing up like missionaries do and telling you loads of stories about all the wonderful things that were happening and how God was doing this and doing that. And doing that. Well, the church that I grew up in had, I don't know this man because um, he died shortly after I was born, but he was a real strong Welsh preacher. And um, he listened to this man for some time then he leant forward on his chair because he was behind him and he pulled his coat and he said preach Christ brother preach Christ <laughs> my dad said the poor preacher he was like dumbstruck you know what I mean he was in in his flow of his stories and and he stopped dead and my dad said he stopped to preach Christ and he said, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. There's nothing wrong with stories. There's nothing wrong with preaching about lots of other things. But see, first, it's about Christ. This life of ours, it's about the man, Jesus Christ. Focus on him. Some years ago, I remember preaching in uh, one of the churches where I was pastoring 
and uh, this lady came up to me after the the message and she said it was really interesting what you said but you know you don't like to hear these conversations with the but but she said you never mentioned Christ once this morning and you know I was like uh, embarrassed angry on the defensive but you know when I went home and I considered what she had said and I looked at my sermon she was 100% right I'd managed to preach something and Christ didn't even appear he didn't appear now you say well has Christ got to be in every sermon well I'm not saying that I'm making the point that sometimes we can get off Christ and he just becomes a side issue uh, our life is all about ministry it's all about uh, ministering to the poor it's all about healing the sick it's all about it's all about something and somehow Christ has been pushed to the side so I'm going to preach Christ to you be patient with me as I read this it takes about seven or eight minutes consider this much loved son set your eyes beyond the stratosphere and see a Christ who confounds the mind this Christ is present tense the visible image of the invisible God Jesus Christ displays God's image visibly in the invisible realm where he is seated in heavenly places at the Father's right hand to look upon the carpenter of Nazareth is to discover God in totality to know the suffering Nazarene is to know the Almighty the one true creator who was is and is to come but that's not all this Christ is the firstborn of the entire cosmos the first person to appear in creation and he is preeminent in all of it all things visible and invisible were created by him through him to him and for him he is the originator as well as the goal the creator as well as a consumer I'm gonna not struggling with this word consumer oh my pass on that word but that's still not all this Christ existed before time as the eternal son he is above time and he is outside of time he is the beginning in fact he was before the beginning he lived in a realm where there is no ticking watches or clocks space and time are but his servants he is unfettered by them 
this Christ is not only before all things, but the entire universe is held together in him. He is the cohesive force. He is the glue, the gravitational pull that holds all created elements together. He is creation's great adhesive, the hinge upon which the whole cosmos turns. Remove Christ and the entire universe disintegrates. It comes apart at the seams. Remove him, the creator's wheels come off. But there's still more. This Christ is the very meaning of creation. Eliminate him and the universe has no purpose. Remove him and every living thing loses its meaning. But more than all of this, the one who created the universe watched it fall. He saw the cosmic revolt in heaven and the wreckage on earth. Under the caring eyes of the Father, the Lord looked upon his own creation as it morphed into an enemy, his own enemy. And then he did the unthinkable. He penetrated a fallen world. This Christ pierced the veil of space-time. He became incarnate. He took on human flesh. As such, he was touched with the same temptations, the same infirmities, the same weaknesses and all, as all mortals. Only he never yielded. Christ entered into his own creation to reconcile it back to himself and to his Father. The creator became the creature to make peace with an alienated creation. But how? By a wooden stake on a hill near Jerusalem where blood was spilt, this Christ, the Jewish craftsman from Nazareth, was slaughtered outside the city gates and by that horrible death he reconciled a fallen cosmos to God. The incarnate Son became the incarnation of sin and corruption. Every vile, foul, evil, dark, hideous vestige of the fall was laid upon his sinless body like a monstrous mantle of wickedness. The spotless one became sin incarnate. But by his death he slew all negative things. He brought all creation to the complete end. Better the old creation died, having made peace with its creator. And then by his resurrection, he brought forth from the womb of death the unprecedented creation of which you are a part. So where there was hostility, he brought peace. Where there was separation, he brought union. Where there was death, he brought life. But here's the mind blower. Because of that hill... Because of that blood, because of that cross, you stand holy, spotless, blameless, without reproach and accusation in the sight of a holy God. Yet that's not all. This Christ created a new humanity, a new creation, a new race like himself. That new humanity is his own body a multi-membered creature we call the church, ecclesia of God. It is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, kin to divinity. And this Christ is the head, the authority, and the source of that body. But wait, there's more. 
this Christ triumphed over the greatest enemy that God ever faced, death, the offspring of sin. He conquered its power, extinguished its sting, and dismantled the fear that was attached to it. Jesus Christ passed through death and came out in resurrection, and he is the first to return from the dead to never taste mortality again. But that's not all. In his resurrection, this Christ, the only begotten Son, he shook off the chains, no longer bound by time and space. He became a life-giving spirit, the firstborn among many sisters and brothers, all of whom will be raised from the dead after him. This glorious Christ defeated death, the grave, the curse, the entire world system. He defeated sin and Satan and all condemnation. He slew shame. He conquered guilt. And he shares his everlasting victory and towering triumph with you. Here is a Christ so grand and glorious that he is beyond the reaches of human comprehension. All things in this Christ all things are through this Christ all things are for this Christ and he has been given the first place in everything my Lord Christ must be preached he must be preached you must see him you must see him as a Christian. If you don't see Christ and all that he is, you will never experience the best. We have to see him. How do we remind ourselves of him? Sunday by Sunday, we take a piece of bread and we say, this is your body and I'm taking it into myself. And this this represents your blood that was shed for me and I consume it into myself, into this very being. I am taking Christ into myself. This Christ that we read about here, he enters into us. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We should take it often, not seldom. Do it often, he says. Why? Because it's about me. I am the focus of this life. If Jesus ceases to be at the heart of our gospel, of our life, of our Christianity, of our faith, of our worship, he, he fails to be there we just get lost down the siding we miss out on the best to receive god's best jesus must be your very reason for living i want you to stand up I know they can't do it. Well, you can do it at home on the podcast if you like. Just want you to stand up for a minute because I've come to the end of that one. And I just want us for a moment to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Just to 
think about him for a minute. You can close your eyes or keep them. Just think about Jesus. This wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man who could take the sin of the whole world upon himself, who could cut himself off from his eternal Father to bring us into a wonderful place. Jesus, we are so proud that you are our Jesus. You're our Saviour. And you're our Lord. And you're our example. And Lord, we want to keep our focus on you every moment of every day. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Be seated. I promised you this one won't be quite as long as that, so brace yourselves for this one. I've said that we must want God's best. That's the first principle. We must want it. Secondly, we must focus on Jesus Christ. We must. We must to get God's best. Thirdly, the third point or principle is that we must meditate on the Word of God. To meditate is not simply to read, but it's to allow the Word of God to fill our mind, to fill our hearts, and to fill our minds. I'll give you an example from Scripture, of course. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 1. And verse 8, he says to Joshua as he's about to go into the promised land, he says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Now, the book of the law is not simply laws, but it's the Torah, the first five books, which has a whole lot more than just laws. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful well prosperous and successful is another way of saying that you will find God's best if you do these things now always in your study of scripture when you come across a promise of God and I've been told there's 8,000 of them in the word of God so it's peppered fairly you know regularly with promises you have to read about the conditions to receive the promise of God, there's usually conditions attached to it. Not all, some God freely gives you things without conditions, but we should read them, we should look at what proceeds, what paves the way, and what comes before the promise. You see, we're covenant people. We've entered into a covenant with God. God said, listen, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do that, I'll do that. And so God is bound by his covenant. He can't break it. It's impossible for God to break a covenant that he has made. I've said this before. I want to get it clear. It, it's about praying for things that are promised to us in the covenant. Please listen, because you could say that I'm telling you not to pray, but I'm not saying this. What I'm saying is, 
if there is something that God says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this thing, God can't do that because it's covenanted. So if you say, well, I'm not going to do this, but God, please, will you do that? God will say, no, I can't do that. If I do that, I break my word. I said, if you do this, I'll do that. You go, well, but I don't know what all the conditions are. Well, God in his grace and mercy, when, when we don't know everything, he can step into the breach and he can override certain things. But as we grow up in him, he expects us to understand more of these covenant promises. And so if something is not happening that you're asking God for, just check out that it's in the covenant and you're fulfilling your part of the covenant there are three things that relate to God's word here the particular one that we've read from Joshua he said you can be prosperous and successful if you do three things so presuming if you don't do these three things you won't be prosperous and successful or you won't know God's best so what are they in this particular case number one he says the word is not to depart from your mouth so you must be speaking the word of God all the time it must it mustn't go away from your conversation. Number two, you're to meditate on it day and night. That's continually. So up here, the word of God must be in your mind and in your heart on a continual basis. Thirdly, you're to be careful to do everything that is written in the word. There you go. That's straightforward enough. He said to Joshua, you do this, this and this, and I'll make you prosperous and successful. And he was so he obviously did it so it's possible even for people of the old testament who weren't filled with the spirit of god they could still fulfill the call and the word of god in their lives and and, and fulfill the covenant so three simple phrases then we can boil this down to think god's word speak god's word and do god's word you can ask the question quite legitimately is this for everyone this verse or was this just for Joshua because not all verses of scripture are for all of us some are specific for particular people and they don't apply to everyone and some are particular for a nation the nation of Israel and they don't apply to the church particularly but we need to go to another passage of scripture then where we could say well I found something almost similar to this and it wasn't written to anyone specific and a good place to go to is the book of Psalms the book of Psalms weren't written for anyone particular. They were simply David and others singing praises unto God from their heart and declaring the truth of God's word. So if you say, well, the 23rd Psalm was written for me, which most people would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he'll make me lie down and all those things. You can take the other Psalms and say they apply to me as well. Let's go to Psalm 1 then as an example, very similar to what Joshua said. In Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, he said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But he de his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see the similarity in what I'm saying with these verses? Meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season 
and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers okay. that's pretty similar to me whatever he does prospers you'll find God's best if you do these things I think they apply to anybody they apply to you they apply to me it's the word of God that we could say well maybe that word was just for Joshua but this word is for me and here we find there are five conditions set here in this word of God the three the three that come first are all negatives and the last two are very positive so let's just unwrap this and see what they are the negative ones say these are what you must not do you must not walk in the counsel of the wicked you must not stand in the way of sinners and you must not sit in the seat of mockers keep out the way of the wicked keep out the way of sinners and keep out the way of mockers those who ridicule the things of God the psalmist is saying where do you get your counsel who do you listen to and whose lead do you take politicians newspapers television friends where do you get your leading from who is it you're listening to if you get it from the wrong source your lives will go wrong they'll just go wrong they will we have to get it from God God has to be our counselor the last two conditions are positive let's see what they say your delight your delight must be in God's Word and on his word you must meditate day and night the same sort of things he said to Joshua hmm do you always delight in God's word oh sometimes I feel I read it as an obligation you know when we read it like that we very rarely get anything from it because our hearts are not receptive to God's word when we read the word of God it needs to be a delight you say well what if it's not a delight well just ask God to help you until you read it until it becomes a delight because you know it's a waste of time if you're not enjoying what it is you're reading I don't know about you with books if I start a book and I'm not into it by chapters one and two I don't waste any more time it gets dished now I might read it again later but really it's got to get me you know what I mean I've got to delight myself in what I'm reading for me to carry on it's the same with the scriptures and and this about meditating day and night apparently the Hebrew word for meditate is the same word as mutter you just keep muttering the word just keep speaking the word just keep thinking about it mulling it over talking it talking it through see if we do this we'll be feeding on the positive our faith will be inspired because the Word of God will always inspire our faith it will upbuild us our thoughts will come from him if we never read it and never look at it and never meditate it never think about it our lives will be depressed they'll go all over the place right thinking is important to a successful life just turn you finally now to Isaiah that Old Testament prophet this is where he says that thinking affects our experience in life 
Isaiah 55. I'm going to read to you verses 8 to 11. He says, God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Well, we knew that, didn't we? We don't think like God. We're here on earth. He's there in the heavens. We can't think like him. There's a big gap between us. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But he says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. God speaks that his words will filter from the very courts of heaven to the realm of earth and enter our hearts. That's the purpose of God speaking. He doesn't waste his time in speaking to us. We're so far below God. Our thoughts are never going to never going to go there. Never going to reach the thoughts of God. Yet we don't live according to our thoughts. But God's word brings down his thoughts and places them in our hearts and his ways in our hearts. Isaiah goes on to say this in 55 and 11. It, talking of my word, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It will, it will do it. If we're tuning into God and God is speaking, his word coming in has power and life within it. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. The result of God's word coming down and settling in our heads and our hearts and occupying our lives will replace his thoughts with our thoughts. We will be led forth in peace, it says. We will go out in joy. Even nature will cause you to praise and your life will be fruitful. If we want God's best, we must want it. We must focus on Jesus and we must meditate on God's word so his thoughts become our thoughts and his ways become our ways. To receive the very best from God, we have to apply ourselves 
it's wonderful to be saved if you do nothing else in your life you're born again of the Spirit of God and that's wonderful it's wonderful but God wants you to have much more he wants you to have the very best in your life God bless you all Amen Thank you for listening to the Arise Bible Academy teaching. We hope you enjoyed it today and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation to support the work we do. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.